The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1, and verses 4 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This morning, however... We're uh, really ending our series on the vision of downtown church. And uh, if you throw that, there we go. We are formed by faith, restored by family or community. But we are, we are um, formed by faith, restored by family, not to just sit here. <laughs> uh, but God redeems us. God puts us in a family. And, and in this family, we heal to be sent out to love our city to do what no one else will or really can do because we have a power and we have a message and we have news that no one else has. Uh, So before we go to this uh, message of the city, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you that you have told exiles how to position themselves, how to position their heart, mind, soul, and spirit in the city. Father, we are exiles in Memphis, so I pray that you would show us the connection, show us how we need to be thinking and how we need to be living. Uh, Lord, show us the glory of Christ who was for city dwellers like us, who left everything to come, to die, that we might live. And so, Father, I pray that, that we might find life by laying our life down that the world might know that there's a king and there's good news and there's hope. Lord, ignite us, ignite a flame in us this morning. Help us to think new thoughts. See this passage, this command, maybe from different angles. Speak to us in our hearts by your spirit through your word. Transform us that we might be part of your work and transform to the city. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So the main idea this morning is this. Basically, that God has redeemed a people to serve their city by seeking its shalom or welfare, that God might, therefore, through them, redeem the world. That's the message. That, that, that is the mission of God's people in the world. And that should be, therefore, our vision for Memphis, that God is going to That God has redeemed us, he's called us together to work for and seek the welfare, the shalom of the city, so that God through that might redeem the world. 
I was thinking this morning about the fact, I don't know why this came to my mind. It was early morning. I wasn't thirsty, but I thought, you know, I never really loved wine until I went to Napa. And then I learned what good wine was, and I couldn't stop telling other people about it. And you know, there are people that don't realize how much they need Jesus. There are people that don't realize how good he is. There are people that don't understand there is something to drink that brings life, and his name is Jesus. You see, our, our purpose in being formed by faith is that we might be, you know, con contemplating so much how many billions of sins he washed away that we go out into the world and we say there is one cup to drink from. And his name is Jesus. If we try to go out there and do that without him and not motivated by his love, then we're going to just be a flash in the pan and we're going to have nothing attractive to offer to the world. So this passage this morning, Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel. And you need to know that before Israel was taken by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, and taken to a different land, um, you know, 720 miles across the desert, that basically Israel, were, they were standing against him. They were critiquing his leadership. And so King Nebuchadnezzar said, well, I know how to solve this. I'm going to go capture basically the ruling class, the craftsmen, those with money, middle and upper class. I'm going to leave the poor, but I'm going to bring the skilled and the powerful. That's what verse 2 says. That's the whole point of it. This was after King uh, Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. The reason they departed because they were carried off and conquered. The temple was torn down and so forth. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had this great plan that if he uprooted um, the, you know, those in power and those that have clout in, in, in the culture and bring them to Babylon, that they would, they would assimilate. They would basically adopt the, the customs of, ba of Babylon and they would adopt their gods and therefore turn their back on the God of Israel. This was his grand scheme. And friends, that's the grand scheme of the evil one. He is always seeking to motivate us to assimilate to the culture and not see ourselves as change agents of the culture. God is speaking into this context, and it's, relative, it's, it's very um, relevant for us because if you look at uh, James, he addresses uh, his epistle to, um, to the people. He, he, in verse 1, he says, to the 12 tribes in exile. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, refers to the elect, the, the, the elect in exile, the elect exiles, if you will. And so, friends, that is what we are. We are a people, and we feel this distinctly, that this is not our home. But we have a mission to this place. And, and, and God has a message for us that we are to settle down and not get so fascinated by the future hope that we forget the present reality and our mission that he's calling us to. We are to be a people on mission. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing that we have to see is the thing that just popped out to me was this whole reality is God has placed us in this city at this time. 
God has placed you in this city at this time. I was on the Next Door Neighbor app this week. I uh, wouldn't recommend that. Not very redemptive. Uh, if you want to learn how to hate your neighbor, get on the Next Door Neighbor app. Um, if you want to learn what all your neighbors are doing bad, get on that app, and you'll get it. Well, this was, I couldn't resist. It's kind of like the gossip column. Um, this is what the post, how it read. After 47 years of assaults, robbery, burglary, and the daily fear that goes along with it, I'm leaving Memphis. Within 21 days, I'm moving to Franklin, Tennessee. All right, message received. So, we as Memphians uh, love grit and grind, but we're not too keen on our crime. <laughs> We're tired, we're broken down by the news day in and day out. We're broken down to find out that rape kits sit on the shelf for years. We're broken down by the news that five MPT, MPD officers assaulted, beat literally to death Kyrie Nichols. We're tired of it. We're tired of those stories and it makes us want to run. It makes us want to go inward. It, it, it makes us want to hide. It makes us not want to engage in the city, but we basically want to live in the city and kind of, and kind of get away. How does it affect you? Does it motivate you to get involved, to check out, or move out? Well, imagine being these exiles to whom God is addressing these words. They have been taken from their home forcibly. They have to settle in this foreign land. And I was thinking about it for, for some of us, for, for the white brothers and sisters in the room, we have to use our imagination. For our black brothers and sisters, it's pretty close to home. So how are we to live in this land that we've been taken to? How are we to view it? It's within this context that God speaks, and this is what he says. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile. That wicked Nebuchadnezzar. We know what to do with those kind of guys. We just run them down. You know, bad Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody likes Nebuchadnezzar. We hate him. Let's kick against his rules. Let's, let's hide out in his town. Let's do nothing that brings any prosperity to anybody in this land. We are going to resist Nebuchadnezzar. But then, in verse 4, God changes the message. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Dear friends, God wants you and me to know this morning. It doesn't matter if you were born here and you got no choice. It doesn't matter if your job transferred you here or you got married and that's where your spouse is from and you had to come. It doesn't matter why you're here, MTR, TFA, it doesn't matter why you're here, you are not here by mistake. 
God has every single one of us in Memphis, Tennessee on this day at this time, and I believe as the church for this time. That is what is clear to this. It's easy to look at Memphis and think it's going from bad to worse and be consumed by negativity and paralyzed by the overwhelming brokenness, but God wants us to know, I have you here at this time, and I'm not a God who works without purpose and mission. Friends, can you embrace that this morning? This hit me hard this week. It's so simple. But I'm like, yeah, because I get tired of the bad news. I get tired of the negativity. God has us here. Number two, God has placed you here to settle, not assimilate. I don't know, maybe there's some, uh, some old heads in here that remember this movie from 1976. It's called The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. And <laughs> this movie, it's not hard to get the content of it. That's why I used it, though there may be three or four of us that saw it, you know, back in the day. But um, basically, it's a story about a young man who's born with, um, uh, he, he doesn't have an immune system, a healthy immune system, therefore he is highly susceptible to disease. And, and so, he has to live his life, you know, I guess the medical technology, this is the medical technology of 1976, he had to live his life in a plastic bubble. They basically had to take his meals there, he had to sleep there, he had to do everything right there in that bubble. And as I think about that, I'm like, that's how many people want to live life as Christians in Memphis. We just want to build our bubble and bemoan the fact of how bad the city is becoming. We want to turn our head away and act like we don't have anything to do about it, and, and God has not said anything to us about being on mission in his city that he loves. And you can see this socioeconomically. The more money you have, the bigger bubble you can build. The nicer schools you can send your children to. The better health care you can secure. You can live where there are grocery stores. Those that are unable to afford these luxuries are really necessities. Ask, and I remember asking, it, it, it hit me today as I was walking with this sermon. It hit me, you know, I remember when Whitney, when we were pregnant with Whitney, this was back in 1983, and I remember having this sense of fear. Uh, man, we're just throwing chairs, we're doing everything. It's all right, Alex, it's all good. Um, just don't, just don't come at me. Uh, it's all good. I, I just remember, yeah, we haven't gotten to the hard part yet. Um, I'm ready just to get to Jesus and let's, uh, um, I remember, I, literally, I remember 1983 and that was like, you know, you know, that was like, well, anyway, it's a long time ago. Things weren't where they are today for everybody. And I remember being scared of bringing a child into this world. Can any of y'all relate to that as parents? I'm terrified. I'm like, man, is God going to take, how are we going to? This is what God says to his people. Can you imagine how they felt in, in Babylon? 
as being held captive. This is what, and this is what God said, a timely word, build houses and live in them. Isn't that beautiful? Don't fear. Build yourself a house. Plant your gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And if he had just stopped there, I don't think the point would, would be there. But he said, and do not decrease. What God is saying is this. Don't have a sight. Don't let your hopes for the city be shaped by the condition of the city. But have your hope for the city be shaped by the condition of your God Almighty. Look at who he is. Understand his might and power. Don't think about what you can or cannot do because you're right. Moses could not part the waters of the Red Sea, but he could lift his hands. Do you see it? God calls us to live this life of abundant faith, not to show off but that the world might be redeemed and might be blessed and might flourish through his people. To not settle, to not build houses, to not have families is to assimilate. It's to adopt a philosophy of scarcity and fear, which is to live calling oneself a believer, but in reality living as a functional atheist. Can anybody tell that you trust God and he's good and big? That's what God is saying. Show my power to the city, to Babylon. Our God is a delivering and saving God. He's the God that's not bound by hurdles or borders. He's a God that can enjoy, that enjoys doing exceeding abundantly beyond what we ask or even imagine. We are to settle in exile looking to God to accomplish his good pleasure. To simply be the people of God with an exilic town is to be a light on a hill. I don't think you understand what, how radical downtown church is. I could list, believe me, I've got more critiques and more things we need to be doing than anybody in this room, but let me just tell you something. Let me tell you, a, when, when we, most of us are here because we, we do want to be on mission. We do want something different. We, we, we do want to see something change in Memphis. I was with um, one of my friends, not going to reveal their name this week, uh, with, with, with them recently, and, and he said this. He said, you know, I mean, I, I kind of resist coming to a multi-ethnic church, but I am finding I'm actually loving these white brothers and sisters. And everything in me wanted to dance. I kind of chuckled, but then I was like, yes. And friends, I could tell you story after story after story, and you say, well, it's just us coming in this room together where nothing's really going on. Dear friends, there's a lot going on. There are people in here that have opened their homes and let other people live in their homes. There are people that, that are laying their lives down that are, that, are, that are getting to know those they would never get to know if it wasn't for Jesus. Hearts are changing. Walls of prejudice is coming down. Is it perfect? No. Have we all been hurt at downtown church? Yes. If you hadn't, you hadn't been here long enough. You will be. But that's okay because we have a God that can see us through. 
And then thirdly and finally, God has placed us here for the city's welfare or shalom. And man, that's a tall order. And, and this is the point at which, you know, I really love to just go to the Jesus part because I, I kind of feel like I'm pulling out like Amos, Hosea kind of stuff. And they killed the prophets. Uh, so I'm a little nervous about this, but I'm just, I, there's some things I've got to say because I believe it's true. And I love you. So as we, as we think about the shalom of, of Memphis, according to the, you know, many major studies, economic poverty is primarily, or, or one of the big root causes, is a lack of social capital. In other words, poverty comes from not being in community with uh, those with resources. Those without resources, not in community with those with resources. Not just because of sharing of resources, but because of you know, mentality. If you've never had anybody in your family go to college, you don't know necessarily how to go to college, or that's not an expectation. But if you're around people, thank you, brother. I left my water in the car. My man. He can hear it in my voice. Um, and so, so, um, and so that is um, the root cause of economic poverty, a lack of social capital, relationships across um, walls. However, I would say the root cause of prejudice or superior attitudes toward other groups of people that just justifies a lack of engagement or sharing of resources is the same a lack of social capital. There's a, a mindset, and to be honest with you, I think I love nonprofits, but I think nonprofits kind of give it because they've got to raise money from people with resources. And it's hard to make, raise money from people with resources when if you're Amos or Hosea uh, giving a message of condemnation. Um, I'm just trying to be honest here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just trying to state some things. Um, and, and, and so what is really needed is, is definitely nonprofits are wonderful. And many of you in here work in them and I applaud you and I, I, I'm for you a hundred percent, but a nonprofit can't break down the walls of, 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 and, and, and bring real sharing of social capital. Who are the only ones that can do that? The church. We're the only ones that can live in community. We're the only ones that can go across um, boundaries or whatever and develop relationships with people unlike us, trusting the gospel, trusting the reality that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, what that means for me practically is when I get up out of bed in the morning, I am not going to meet anybody worse than me. And yet I am not going to meet anybody more loved and accepted by Jesus than me. Humility, dignity. That's the gospel. That breaks down social class. That, that brings the social capital groups together where we can share. See, we all are made in the image of God, and we all have wealth to transfer. It's not just the economically rich that have um, something to transfer to the economically poor, but I would say the economically poor have much more to give the economically rich than the economically rich have to give to the economically poor. And that's not just an amen. That, I believe that with everything in me because I've lived it. I've gotten so much more. I have learned. I have been changed in community with people unlike me. You see, we got, I mean, th this came clear to me. I grew up 
with a very racist father, um, kind of a Arkansas redneck lawyer. And I don't even want to go with the right. Let me just say, one, one target of his were the Yankees, people that live up north. I never understood that. But those Yankees were guilty of everything, and they were the root of all Ill, ills in the world. Well, I didn't really know any Yankees that I knew of, um, but we went to um, seminary, and some of our best friends were from Michigan. And you know what they told me? Because, you know, I shared kind of the Southern culture and the whole, you know, Yankee thing. And, and they said, well, you, you want to know what my dad said to me when we were driving through the South on the way to Florida? He would start singing the Beverly Hillbilly theme song. It's universal. But we were best friends. Why? Social capital. They're people just like me. I'm, you know, I'm a southerner. I've got an accent. You can make fun of me. And they did. But that's okay. We're people. And we love each other. We're actually going to Israel with them. Uh, he has a church, big mega church somewhere in the north. And uh, had a scholarship. So Rachel and I get to go to Israel in a few weeks. And it's incredible. Incredible. Social capital. At the heart of our city's brokenness is segregation. The practice of those with power isolating one race and class, keeping their communities from basic resources, such as grocery stores, health care, adequate educational opportunities, and the like. And the way this is done is by creating narratives among those in power to justify their actions that they are then just adopted by their children. To continue these traditions is assimilation. And God says, stop. Stop it. You say, well, I've never oppressed anybody. To just be a part of the system that is oppressing and is responsible for oppressing without resisting it and working for change is in and of itself being part of the oppression. And that's not fun to say, but it's a reality. We have to open our eyes to that reality. And now I'm going to get even closer because I am more convinced that it's the segregation in the church that has to change before the shalom of the city can ever be realized. We can't just give a few dollars to a nonprofit and then go back to our churches, our white churches. And again, I, I'm white. <laughs> But our white churches that hold all, 97% of the capital, business capital in Memphis is owned by white people. And so simply by congregating together, having no real relationship and community and being the family of God is in and of itself supporting the injustice and the oppression in the city. Jeremiah says, don't do that. You see, we might be moved by the needs of others, but we engage with the needs of our friends, and we will die for the needs of our family members, right? That's why God calls us family. 
Will you die for your brother in need? This is what we're being called to, and we have the power to do it. This is the whole thrust and aim of the the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul declares that in Ephesians chapter 2, that in his blood, through his body, he has brought down the dividing wall of hostility. Be done with the prejudice. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. So get together in one family and start loving each other and being my disciples. That's what he says. He puts it this way in Jeremiah, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Start working for the peace and prosperity of the city and you're going to be changed. But notice he says pray for it. It is really hard to pray for your neighbor and the person sitting next to you and hold contempt in your heart. You can't do it. I, I, I defy you to do it. Try it. Try to really start praying for people, but we got to do more. Prayer is powerful, but we got to do more. Jesus says, don't just pray, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. Paul says this in Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Are we living and working for the shalom of the city? We have the power and the motivation the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He came down to give his life so that Richard Reeves could be free. He came down to free me from being enslaved to sin. He came down to address the systematic oppression of sin and death in this world for Richard Reeves. He didn't just say, hey, brother, I love you. I'm going to pray for you. He came down. He took on flesh. He moved in. He didn't move out. You say, oh, that's dangerous. They might kill you. They did kill him. And he knew they would kill him. And he said, come on. What is God calling you to do this morning? I don't know. Believe me, I don't know. I'm not preaching some legalism where I come to me and I'll write out your plan for, I'm your life coach, and I'll give you a word from God. This is what you got to do. You got to live here. You got to stop that. I don't know. But Jesus does. Go to him. Process with him. Have conversations here. Get involved in each other's lives. Have somebody over you've never had over. Have these hard conversations. Get busy. And do so knowing that we're all going to be home one day. I love this is how it ends in verse 14. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. For Israel, it was 70 years. I don't know how many years we got. But I know one one thing. Hope is coming. (laughs) And heaven will be the reality of what we all long for. It will be the completion of any work we do in this life. Dear friends, would you trust Jesus and live a God-sized life, whatever that means for you? Take the next step. And may God help us at Downtown Church as we seek to fulfill the mission of being formed by faith, restored by family, sent out to serve the city. Amen? Amen. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Lord Jesus, these words would be too much if it wasn't for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. 
oh God, if there is one uh, sheep you should have left behind, it's this one standing behind this lectern. But I thank you that you didn't. You're the one that will leave the 99 and come after the one. You're the one that will come after the one who was guilty, who lived most of his life blind. And even though my eyes are open, I can still be blind and stubborn. But God, I thank you for your grace. Give us mercy. Pour out your spirit on downtown church that we might be a different community. Lord, do it for your glory and our good. And we pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, friends.